Well, God, we thank you for the last now 20 weeks in, uh, in your great book of Genesis, the book of firsts. Um, we've learned a lot about you. We've learned a lot about the, the world that we live in. We've learned a lot about ourselves and, and uh, why we are the way we are from the fall. And I pray that tonight would be another night of learning from your Bible, that it would be as equally edifying as the last 19 have been. So God, we thank you for this hour, and uh, we pray that you would teach us through your Bible tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, tonight is about Joseph, the son of Jacob. And so turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40, tonight we're in Genesis 40 and 41. Tonight is about Joseph's unique ability to interpret dreams. We all have dreams. As a matter of fact, the scientists say that you dream a hundred dreams a night. And the only ones you remember are the ones that wake you up. A hundred dreams. That's, that, is, that is crazy. I had a college roommate who would tell me in detail his boring old dreams. He would spend hours... Like two in the morning, recapping his dreams. And so I won't do that for you. That will be very boring. Uh, but tonight we do hear some dreams, and they are not uh, boring uh, tonight. Um, not only do you dream, I think animals probably dream. Have you seen, dogs dream. I, I, they have to be dreaming. What are they, you know, when they're sleeping, they're moving, they're wagging, they're barking, they're, they're I, I, all sorts of things when they're sleeping. I don't know, goldfish, did they dream, worms, I don't, I don't know. Tonight's about Joseph's ability, obviously God-given miraculous ability to interpret dreams, all right? So why don't we jump into Genesis chapter 40 here. It says, then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, in the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. So this probably reminds you of where we ended last week. We find Joseph right where we last, last left him. He's been in jail for a week. Uh, he's been in jail since we last left him there. It's been a very long time, actually. It's been, we don't know exactly how long, but close to 12 years he ends up spending in jail. Now, he doesn't have to go a long way when he gets sent to jail. When Joseph got sent to jail, he got sent to jail for uh, being falsely accused of, by Potiphar's wife of an attempted raping of her. He didn't, but that's what she said. And so he didn't have to go very far. He just went down the stairs. This, is, this passage here tells us that the jail was like in a dungeon underneath uh, the, the house of Potiphar. And so that's where these others also end up being. And it wasn't, he wasn't there very long until the jailer found out that he had the, this, this innate thing, whatever he touched, it turned to gold. And so the jailer allowed him to begin to be the, the chief over all of the uh, prisoners. And so we meet the next two characters that, that he meets, and we have the cup bearer, and we have the baker. The cup bearer was often the one that was the closest to the king, the closest to the pharaoh. His job as the cup bearer would be to taste the drink before the pharaoh drank it, 
because it would off him instead of off the Pharaoh if someone was trying to get to him. And so the cupbearer essentially became one of the closest confidants of the king because he was always there. The baker is almost the same idea in that if someone wanted to poison the king through the food, they'd have to go through the baker's kitchens first. And so why were these two guys in jail? Um, we, we don't really know. It, it says there in verse 1 that they offended their Lord. Literally, the word there is they sinned against their Lord, sinned against the, the Pharaoh. Um, whatever they had done, they were um, being punished in theory, at least from what we stand, rightfully. They were equally guilty in what they had done. And so they were put in jail where Joseph was. Now, Joseph was there, but he wasn't guilty. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was there too. Verse 5, when the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked the Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces sad today? He notices their sad faces. And what stands out to me is that he even noticed. You know what I mean? Like, he's, he's already in jail. And of anybody who would have a sad face, it should be him. But he has, he has such a peace about what is going on. He's trusting the Lord so well that, that uh, he not only notices that they're dejected, that there's something wrong about them, that they are in an emotionally down mood. Maybe another word we would use, they're depressed. And not only did he notice it, but he cared about them. The Lord was caring for him, and so that allowed him to care for the men that he was in charge of. And so he noticed it, and he cared about what was going on, and um, asked them what, what was going on. Verse 8. And they said to him, we have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to the Lord? Tell it to me, please. So he finds out that they are having dreams, and this dream, particular dream is haunting them. Now, I don't know how even they knew that this one particular dream needed to be interpreted, because if you have a hundred dreams a night... What about the, the last hundred nights of dreams that they woke up from? How come they didn't think all of those dreams needed to be interpreted too? So obviously this was something impactful about this dream. It was obviously given to them by God, and so God in his supernatural way made sure that they were aware that this one was more important, but we don't really know the detail. Now, they asked for an interpretation. And, and Joseph says, well, I mean, that's really up to God to interpret it, so tell it to me. Now, do you remember the last time that Joseph interpreted a dream? Remember those dreams? It was the, the dreams about, um, you know, the sun, moon, and stars, and, the, and the, the, the sheaves bowing down, and it was really, he interpreted it, and it was the brothers bowing down to him. What happened to Joseph when he interpreted those dreams? Uh, yes, everything that you just said. Yeah. Brothers want to kill him, uh, going to renege on that idea, uh, threw him in a pit, trying to figure out what to do, uh, sold him off into, into slavery. And so now there are more dreams that needed to be interpreted. 
if that had happened to you, would you have interpreted these dreams? No way, Jose. That was probably the cupbearer's name, Jose. And I was said, no way, Jose. I'm not, I'm not messing with any of your dreams. And he didn't owe anything to them. He, he was under no obligation to do anything like that. He already knew the, essentially the, the curse of being able to interpret dreams. And, and so he could have said no, but he didn't take that route. He could have gone that direction, but he didn't. He decided to interpret both of the dreams. Now you're wondering, what are the dreams? Here we go. They're weird. Let's read them. Verse, uh, verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine there were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. That's the dream. Okay. Now we get to the interpretation immediately in verse 12. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three days more, within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. And so there's this, po a po it's positive this time. <laughs> no one could get mad at him for that. In three days, you'll be restored to your job, your position as the cupbearer, and you will do what you will always have done with him. Everything restored. Verse 14, this gave, uh, this gave Joseph an idea Verse 14, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me the kindness of mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. And so he's thinking this guy could be my out. And he says, hey, can you do me a solid? When you get out, you go, go talk to them and just ask them if I could get out too. This, this, could, this could be his, his access, a restoration. He could be restored as well. Right? Now we have the baker. That's the, the next dream that we have. Verse 16. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, you know, the baker's like, okay, I want to see what these dreams are about before I tell him what mine is. But it turned out good uh, for, for the cupbearer. And so he says to Joseph, also, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were calling, were eating them out of the basket on my head. Weird. Then Joseph answered and said, here's the interpretation. This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. <gasps> Just like the last one sounds good. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. That sounds good too. We'll lift up your head from you and we'll hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> now notice that, that Joseph doesn't say, hey, when he comes and finds you, would you please remember me? <laughs> he doesn't want this guy to even remember his name, you know? 
He doesn't want this guy's stink, you know, rubbing off on him. So don't even remember my name. My name is Fred. Just move on. Some people wonder, and I do too, why these two fates, two very opposite fates for these two, two men here, why these have no idea. We don't know why it's like this. It could have been that this was the just justice for each of these two men. It could have been that the baker had actually done what Joseph was accused of. Don't know. It could have been that the cupbearer didn't do that he was falsely accused just like Joseph was. We don't know. We don't know why these two different ones, but all we know is that all this is God's doing. God is working all the things out for everything to work in the way that, they sh- that he needs them to work. Now, verse 20. And thus it came about on the third day, here it comes, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants. It is interesting that it's his birthday. Made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office. And he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted for them. Have you ever watched those um, Gordon Ramsay? Uh, cooking competitions on TV. That guy is ruthless. He is brutal. I think he got the whole idea for those things, like from this passage right here. You just, you kill the baker. That's the whole point. You kill the baker. Now, Joseph must have, though, been excited about what occurred to the cupbearer. Because remember, he had planted the idea, hey, when you get out, just make sure you don't have to pay me. Just make sure that you, you remind them that I'm here and that I am innocent and, and I should be restored as well. However, verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And as a result, Joseph spent a long time in jail, a long time in the, in the dungeon. We know that Joseph has been there for about 12 years. But at this point, about 10 years. How long did it take for him to get thrown in jail? We don't know exactly that answer. But as a result of the cupbearers forgetting about him, he rots in jail. And, and you can just imagine, he knows that that's out there. He knows he planted the idea. And you can just imagine every footstep he hears coming down the stairs. This could be it. This could be the one to release me. This could be my vindication. And for years, he sits there and he just waits. Completely forgotten. But God didn't forget him. The cupbearer forgot him, but God didn't forget him. As a matter of fact, that is why he's still in jail. The cupbearer forgetting him is an aspect of God remembering him. Because think about it. What if Joseph had gotten out right here? The, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's dream, the, the next big dream that he's going to interpret, that we know is coming up in the next chapter, I'm breaking the rules, telling you what's coming next. 
But the, the big dream that he's going to be interpreting is still two years away. If he gets out now, it's possible that he could be all the way in Israel, all the way back in Canaan, before that dream even occurs. And so God, as a way of remembering where Joseph is, just makes sure that he can easily be found when that next dream occurs. It's kind of interesting to, to think about that the fact that the cupbearer forgot him was a part of God's remembering him and making sure that he was exactly where he needed to be. Um, this passage and 12 others in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament bring up questions that, that occur all the time when we get to these passages. And so I want to talk a little bit about, before we, we take our break tonight, about an aspect of theology uh, that comes from this. There's a lot of ologies in the Bible. Theology is just the study of ology, the study of God. Theos, the study of God. There are lots of ologies in the Bible. There's Christology. That's the study of Jesus Christ, right? There's a demonology. That's the study of Raiders fans. There's... <laughs> Um, let's see, there's uh, ecclesiology, the ecclesia, the study of the church, um, eschatology, the study of end times or the last days. So there's lots of studies of in the passage uh, or in the Bible, but theology is the study of God and how God operates. And so the question that comes up during this, these type of things and is, very prevalent in our culture today, in the Christian culture today, is does God still speak through dreams today? That is that is hot topic today on YouTube. Um, that is hot topic in certain sections of Christianity today. Does God still speak? And you would think the way that some Christians talk about the divine revelation, you'd think that God is just doing this, speaking through dreams all of the time. But the reality is, as you look through Scripture, that's not the case. In Scripture, biblically, there are only three periods of divine dreams, like dreams that are given to people by God that has messages within the dreams. There are only three eras in the Bible where those things occur. One is in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament that covers... I don't know, 3,500 years, 3,500 years, something like that. In that amount of time, that time span, there are a total of 12. Think of all the people, the millions and millions of people, 100 dreams every night, the billions of dreams that are happening all around planet Earth for all of those years, and 12 of them <laughs> are divine dreams. And most of them are in Genesis. There's the one of Abimelech in 20 about Abraham and Sarah. We studied that one. There was Jacob. Remember Jacob's ladder? We studied that one, the, watching the angels uh, ascend and descend from heaven and, and Jesus sitting at, uh, standing at the top there. Then there was uh, the, 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 um, the dream that Joseph had to go back into the land of Canaan from being with, uh, with Laban, the, the dream that Laban had to... Um, to, uh, to, to let 
uh, uh, Jacob go back to the land of uh, Canaan. Then there was um, the, the, the dream of Joseph, the Joseph's dreams, you know, the sheaves and the, um, and the sun, moon, and stars. I guess you could consider that too. If you consider that too, then there's 13 in the Old Testament. And then you have the ones that we're studying tonight, the cupbearer and uh, the baker, those two dreams. You have the one of Pharaoh that we're going to study right after our break tonight. And then you have a few more in Judges, uh, in, uh, in Kings, uh, one of Solomon. And then you have the ones in Daniel, you know, the, the Nebuchadnezzar dream of the, the statue, and then the, uh, the one of Daniel and the four beasts and all that about Revelation. That's it. Those are the 12 slash 13. Out of all the words written in the Old Testament, out of the millions of people that existed through all those ages, <laughs> there are only 12 but that is one of the eras that God speaks through dreams. The second era that God speaks through dreams is in the New Testament. But get this. In the New Testament, there are only two dreams. 27 books. There are only two divine dreams where God is communicating through dreams. And both of them are in Matthew. And both of them occur before Jesus Christ comes. So effectively, like the Old Testament still, um, the one to Joseph, you know, about Mary's going to have a baby and uh, name him this because he's going to save his people um, uh, from their sins. And then the, the one, the, the dream to the magi, to the wise men, um, don't go back and go back another way, you know, go back to Babylon another way. Don't, <laughs> don't go back and tell them where Jesus is. That's it. And, and all those occurred before Jesus Christ is incarnated before he's born, before he uh, lives his perfect life, before he dies on the cross, before he rises from the, from the dead. And, and, and since Jesus Christ's um, appearance on planet Earth, there are no more divine dreams. None. And Hebrews tells us why. You don't have to turn there because we don't have enough time for that, but I already have it marked. Um, Hebrews says this about, about like why this is. Why, why were there dreams in the Old Testament and then before Jesus came? It says this in Hebrews. It's just two verses. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. And yeah, God did speak in a lot of different ways to the prophets. Uh, dreams and voices and, and um, all sorts of different ways that he communicated and it says in verse 2, though, in these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. So God is still speaking to us, but God speaks to us through his Son. And we have his Son's words right in our laps or right on your phone. This is God's divine communication today. Since Jesus Christ came, that God doesn't need to communicate in these divine revelatory dreams, he has spoken much more clearly in his word. Now, there is one more time, one more era. I mentioned that there are three eras where God will speak in these divine dreams. And the last one is still in the future. It's during the tribulation time. In Joel 2 and in Acts, it talks about how your old men will dream dreams. 
It's talking about the end of the tribulation time where Jewish men will begin to be spoken to literally by God, and that's how the, how the nation of the Jews will finally turn their hearts toward the Lord back at the very end of the tribulation time period through these God-given dreams and other ways as well. But through these dreams will be one way that God communicates about his salvation and his Savior. And so I get it, it, like in our culture today, and YouTube gives you access, like, like, oh, it's almost like equal access to every weird thing on planet Earth. You know, that's what the internet does. It brings all the weirdness to you, and it, it like presents it on a platter as if it's all just equally accurate or equally acceptable, and now you're kind of forced to try to pick through and what, what you like and what you don't like. But that's not, re- that's not reality, that dreams, God is communicating through dreams today. There are sections of Christianity where dreams are the focus, where their worship songs talk about dreams, where they try to interpret each other's dreams, that the dreams somehow matter and they're God communicating through those dreams. No. You can have the weirdest dreams ever, and it's just because you ate a lot of pepperoni the night before. <laughs> That's why you have your weird dreams. It's not because God is speaking to you. He, he, he does speak to you. We have enough, we have enough problem following this. <laughs> We, we don't need to try to figure out dreams. At some point in the future, God will give uh, men dreams that will lead them to salvation. But that's not now. So, unless you are living in the Old Testament, or you are living before the birth of Christ, or you are in the last days of the tribulation, then there is no possible way that your dreams are divine. Okay? So the next possible time that could be you is seven years from now, like if the rapture comes right now. But it didn't, so it's a little longer than that time. Okay? All right, it's a t- why don't we take a break, then we'll get to like the big gun of the dreams. Let's take a, a break. Don't forget, uh, men's breakfast tickets will be back in 10 minutes. So now we've been talking about these dreams and, and all that, but all this has been minor leagues compared to the major league dreams that uh, dream that we're going to get to uh, next here. All this is leading up to this big dream that, that Pharaoh has. And I think this is one, one of the biggest events in human history. The, the impact of what occurs here um, literally saves humanity from us just not existing today. So let's, uh, let's read what happens here. Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. It says, now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. So this has been two years since the cupbearer got out and forgot. Two years. It's not like two days or two weeks or two months. He has been in prison for now around 12-ish years, maybe a little less. Obviously, he came to Egypt and he began to work there a little bit, but um, he has been in jail for the bulk of all of this uh, time. And so Pharaoh now has another dream, and it's a weird one. Here we go. (laughs) And behold, he was standing by the Nile. This is his dream. And lo, from the Nile, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. 
he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, the seven, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly what it was like with those other two, the cupbearer and the baker. The next morning, they were dejected. They were depressed. They, they, you could see it on their face. Like These dreams are like different than just normal dreams. And so, verse 8, he was troubled. And so he sent and called all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was not one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now remember, that cupbearer guy. Remember, he knew. And he's been with Pharaoh the entire time. So finally, he speaks up. Then the cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses, meaning I want to tell my testimony about when I got in trouble. Verse 10, Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us, to each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He, meaning Pharaoh, restored me to my office, but he, Pharaoh, hanged him. And so finally, after two years, I guess the dream situations brought it back up to mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my friend, I can't remember his name, but that Hebrew kid... That Jewish kid, Fred, back in jail, he had interpreted these things. So he recounts all of this. And so 12-ish years in jail, give or take a year or two, all because this cupbearer forgot. Now, however discouraged he was, uh, Joseph was in jail, he continued to believe God. He continued to have faith in him. Um, I, there are many Christians who have been under much lighter circumstances that have completely given up on God, that have completely given up on life, that have completely begun to uh, uh, blame God and to be embittered towards the things of God because they have been in much lesser situations. But he loves the Lord, and, and he knows because he is beginning to live it out in more ways than one, that God's timing is perfect even when it's late. That's what he, God's timing is perfect even when it's late. Because this seems late. Why, why didn't God have the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer occur the first three days that Joseph was in prison? Why not? Why didn't, why didn't God have Pharaoh have his dream just a couple days after the cupbearer got out of prison? I don't know. But God is working all these things out, and God's timing is always right, 
even when it's late. And of course, it seemed like it was late, but it's perfect now. So verse 25, we get to the interpretation of this weird dream, or these two dreams. We have the cows, the gaunt cows eating the fat cows, and we have the, uh, the ears of grain where the, the good ears were essentially eaten, consumed by the um, weather-stricken uh, ears. Here's the interpretation, verse 25. Now Joseph said to, uh, said, uh, to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven ears, years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the heat wind will be seven years of famine. And it is, as I have spoken to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine, for it was very Severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it, see, it means that the matter is determined by God, one, and two, that God will quickly bring it about. There we have it. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Famine so bad that, y- that you will forget the seven good years. It's going to be that bad. Well, Let's keep reading, see what is going to happen here. Verse 40, Uh, why don't we go, um, let's go verse 38. It says, then Pharaoh, uh, let's look at the plan. We'll go back even more. Sorry, we'll go go back to verse 33. It says, now let Pharaoh, this is Joseph still, still speaking. What do we do about this? Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him extract a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. Well, of course it did. He, what's interesting is he doesn't become like a worshiper of God. He doesn't want to like be a follower of God, but he's certainly happy to help God, let God help out. There are lots of people like that. They're not followers of the Lord. They're not disciples of following Jesus Christ. But as soon as they're in tragedy, they want you to pray for them. As soon as they're in difficulty, they, 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 uh, they start uh, you know, talking to God about asking God what they want. They're not willing to be a follower of his, but they're certainly willing to let him help out. <laughs> and that's exactly what Pharaoh's doing here. He's happy that God is <laughs> helping out. A verse, uh, verse 38 Then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? 
So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall, shall do homage. Only, only in, the, in the throne I will be greater than you. And so Joseph immediately becomes second in command of all of Egypt. Now, if I had become second in command, you ever wonder, like, like, what would you do in a situation like that? Well, first of all, I would go and, let's just say, off the cup bearer. <laughs> he forgot me. <laughs> Forget him. Next up, Potiphar's wife. Boom. <laughs> Next up, send the armies to take care of my brothers back at home. Boom. Gone. That's what I would have done. Now you know why they didn't vote me in to be the second in command of Egypt. But what we, what we read here is that he doesn't do any of those things. He honors God. And ultimately, in that honoring of God, he honors Pharaoh. He becomes the best second in command, honoring a, a, a boss that doesn't deserve any sort of honor at all, but he is very respectful to that position. Now, let's keep reading here. Uh, verse 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set over you the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. And he made him ride in a second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. He had it all. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall rise his, raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph this name. Now, don't, you, don't, you don't know what it is either. This is, he, he gives him a, uh, a, essentially an Egyptian name. He, he gives him an Egyptian name. He gives him Egyptian citizenship. He gives him his, his position. Um, he, he gives him all of these, these things. Oh, and he even gives him a, uh, an Egyptian wife um, there in, um, in verse 45. It says um, he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, and as his wife. And so Joseph then went forth in the land of Egypt. He wanted to make sure that he was acceptable in the eyes of the Egyptians, that, he, that they would follow him because he was Egyptian, and so he got an Egyptian name. And how old was he when all this happened? Look at the beginning of verse 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, 30. And for the next 80 years, he's going to be in this position until he dies at 110 years old. Yeah. All right, well, back to that to seven years of plenty. Sure enough, it occurred. Uh, let's look at verse uh, 46. Now, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Joseph went out in the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly, and so he gathered all the food in all these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and placed the food in cities, and he placed in every city the food from, which it's, uh, from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. And so the prediction of the plenty came true. Now we in California, we're kind of jaded to 
predictions about how bad the weather is going to be. Something about California, we're always being threatened, you know, the drought. This is the worst one ever. At the beginning of this year, this was like the worst drought ever, and we're all going to, couldn't use our toilets anymore, and couldn't water our lawn, and all this stuff. And it, like, it, like, it comes back like every, I don't know, you know, six or seven years like that. This is the worst ever, and the population is going to end, and all this kind of stuff. That's why I love all this rain. This rain is great, you know. These people are predicting that, you know, in 50 years we're all going to be dead if we don't fix climate change, and yet they have no idea what's coming like tomorrow, you know. And God just says, okay, this is going to be some rain for you. And here we are in the worst drought of ever, you know. We got, we got floods. We got people getting trapped in the, in the, in the, in the river. We've got uh, 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 lands that, that usually grow food is like completely underwater. The, 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 the river over, you know, just the, the, the river over here, like cross over the river every day to come to work. I mean, the river is like, you know, sky high. Yeah, they have no idea what's going on. So we're kind of jaded to... To predict, 50 feet of snow, yeah, people trying to dig themselves out of, out of Big Bear uh, just to see the light out their windows. And so we're kind of jaded a little bit. Yeah, right. You know, I haven't stopped watering my lawn. I still want my lawn still green. Thank you very much. Okay. When there really is a real drought, I'll, you know, I'll use the last drop on my green grass. Okay. <laughs> so we're jaded about all of this prediction of a drought, but this was legit. This was a bad famine. Um, Let's look at verse uh, 53. It says, When the seven years of plenty, which had been in the land, came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, uh, began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands. But in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, worldwide famine. Literally, if they hadn't stored up this food, everybody on planet earth would die. Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. It was that bad. The entire worldwide population would have been wiped out if the dream had not been interpreted and they had not created some implementation. That's why I mean this is probably one of the biggest events in human history. Like this is this is why we are still alive today is because of Joseph's events. Now I skipped over a couple of verses that um, I want to end with here, verse 50. Now, before the year the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Look at verse 51. Here's the first son. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. Um, Manasseh literally, mean, literally means the one who causes to forget. And obviously the connection is clear. He has been through a lot of difficulty in his young years. He has a weathered face for being a 30-year-old. And when he has a son, it just it made him forget everything. Probably when you had your firstborn, it was like that too. It, just, it was a complete change of trajectory you know, for him. He, he literally like names his son Amnesia. <laughs> I name you Amnesia. You've made me forget. But then he has a second son, and he named him Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. 
Yeah. He, he has been through a, a lot of time of pruning. Like that'd be like a New Testament term here. He's been through a lot of time of pruning and now finally he's vindicated for it all. And after all of that pruning, he is now producing fruit. You know, God doesn't tell us why he does things. He doesn't tell us why someone that we love dies. He doesn't tell us why someone loses their job. He doesn't tell us why we get the medical diagnosis. We, we just must trust that he is Lord in heaven over all of these kinds of things. And now, though, he is, he is reaping the fruit of all of those difficult days that God had used to, used to develop him to be the man that he is today. And I just want to end with that because that, that, this is such a great ending to this chapter, that just when you think it's all lost, God, God provides a Manasseh. Just when you think it's all lost, God provides an Ephraim. He, he provides the, the reward of those difficult times. Well, it's 8 o'clock. We have to close in prayer tonight. Well, God, I thank you for uh, our evening. I thank you for uh, what you've taught us. We thank you that you don't forget even though other people do. We thank you that your timing is perfect even when we think it's late. We thank you for your provisions um, at the end of difficult times. And so we praise you for all of these things, and we pray that this would help us to, to live our lives honoring to you this next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave, do not forget, we will not be here next week. This is, we're taking a break for the next three weeks. We'll be back after Easter. Okay, I'll see you on Sunday, though.